Hello and welcome to episode 15 of Into the Spotlight. I'm Ryan. And I'm Morley. So something I've talked about on this podcast in the past is that I have developed a real love and appreciation for dance in the past few years. Most, if not all of that, can be attributed to my girlfriend, Eden. Um, She grew up training in ballet. She was a member of a contemporary ballet company at our university, and she's taken me to some incredible performances, and some of those have been her own. Um, And she is also to thank for the connection to today's guest. So a few months ago, I think it was, um, she showed me the profile of someone on Instagram who was doing this incredible work with animation and rotoscoping and dance. Um, I'd never seen anything like it before. It was incredibly unique, hypnotic. It really like it really drew me in. Um, so I was like, we we have to get this person on the podcast, and we did. So please welcome, please join me in welcoming today's guest, Kristen Stambolic. Hey, Kristen, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. That was such a nice introduction. I love that. <laughs> Thank you. No, it, it, and it's true. Like, I I had been peripherally aware of rotoscoping, I think, for some time. Um, and just as someone who makes videos, it's like a term I had heard before and mostly in like the behind the scenes commentary of DVDs is how I knew it. Um, <laughs> but I had never seen someone really use it in the way that you do. and it's yeah it's just it's really really interesting so i mean you can probably describe it better than i can um but if you wouldn't mind explaining number one what exactly is rotoscoping um and number two how you got into this and got to where you are now in creating these really interesting uh video arts and animations and dance videos yeah absolutely so um rotoscoping basically is the process of frame by frame animation and most people who rotoscope trace over pre-existing footage um that's usually what i'm doing i'm now kind of transitioning into doing rotoscoping without any reference video which is something that's i find much more difficult but it's it's really exciting because the possibilities are are so open but um i started rotoscoping my first ever thing that I rotoscoped was in my third year of, of schooling, of post-secondary schooling. And then I, I didn't do it for about seven months after that. And then I revisited it. And I would say in the past eight months, I've just been really loving doing it almost every single day and just trying to hone my craft and watch tutorials and talk to other animators and yeah, it's so funny because I've never really referred to myself as like a rotoscoper or an animator, but now I guess like that that is what I'm doing. So that's yeah, no, cool. you definitely are. Yeah. yeah. And what was that like? Because you mentioned like you have a background in dance. So what was that evolution like coming to rotoscoping and delving more into video and more visual arts? You know, it was so fascinating because dancing for as long as I was in, in the program that I was in, it was really rigorous. So um, I was constantly dancing and learning about my body and anatomy. When I rotoscope on dancers now, um, I'm seeing their movement happen frame by frame. So I usually animate in 30 frames per second. So one second of movement, I get to break it down into 30 little transitional moments of them dancing. So I think I have such a new understanding of movement in dance now, which is so amazing because 
I feel like if I ever do get back into it, I'm just going to have like this new idea of the in-between moments of dancers. So yeah, it's been awesome. Mm. That's something that Eden has kind of always talked to me and I've noticed in as being a dancer, it's you have so much more knowledge and intimacy about your body and how the body works than most people. Um, I, I, there's something I've also noticed in just watching performances is how vulnerable it seems. And I think it seems more vulnerable as a non-dancer to watch than as a dancer, because you think like, like I've, I've never been able to express myself in body bodily movements the way that this person can. Mm. And I think the way you kind of, you kind of draw on that magic as it were in, in the animations, because you know, like these movements create certain feelings and moods. And um, I was showing someone your work recently, and I think the word they used was maybe lifelines and, and this effect that you do when like the dancer may outstretch their arms and it's like beams are shooting out of their hands. Um, do, you, do you, I mean, you must feel this like really intimate connection between like the animation and the movement. Like what was the process like for that that coming about? Yeah, it's so interesting that you say that. That's a massive part, I think, of why I've stayed with this um, type of, of creating videos because I feel like I can really feed off of the energy lines and the movement that these dancers are having and and make the viewer see it visually with the animation. So I think, I mean, live performance is amazing, and um, but there's only so much you can do with it. And I think that I was just really curious about seeing dance on film and really being able to show the viewer what's going on energy-wise um, with the animation. And I'm constantly striving to either contrast the movement, complement the movement with the animation, or interrupt it. So yeah, it's definitely like a constant kind of balancing act of how do I how do I keep the dancing going with the animation? Wow. That's really, that's really interesting because it it is uh, what I what I've noticed in going to shows it, it is it is an art form like so entrenched in seeing it in person traditionally. Like seeing dance in person versus seeing just a raw video of dance, there there's like no comparison. Um it's like when you like when you're at like an NBA basketball game and like you can hear them like <laughs> like like talking trash to each other and like you can see the sweat dripping, you can feel the intensity of it in the moment and the pressure of it in the moment. Um, I had never thought about before how like you're you're basically like using video as a way to like get all those emotions that raw video can't. Yeah, yeah, and I also think that from spending so much time watching live performance and being involved in live performance, there are so many layers. There's like the choreography, the costuming, the stylization, and there's like viewpoint layers as well, like how people are staggered on stage. And I think it's so cool that I'm, I'm able to kind of show that in the video, even though it's not live, because you lose a lot of that when you see dance on video. You lose a lot of like the real time interaction and intimacy but I think that I'm trying to recreate some of that on video and hopefully I'm starting to succeed that's kind of the goal is to is to kind of make people reminiscent of watching my performance in a different way 
it's interesting because I'm really impressed with your work and how you're able to convey that because I'm not a dancer myself, but mm -hmm. I've seen dance, like I've seen river dance, I've seen other types of performances that way. But the way that you're able to do it um, with the rotoscoping is that because you mentioned like with dancers, a lot of focus on technique, on choreography, on precision. But with through rotoscoping, you're able to to recontextualize the performance completely and you're able to uh, emphasize on elements and more artistic perspective through your own lens. So what's that process like for you as you're recreating the dance and the performance and expressing it in this new light? It's It can be extremely tedious, to be honest with you, just because the whole process of rotoscoping is extremely time consuming. Right. It can take me days to finish like a 30 second clip. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, there's something so satisfying about spending so much time really trying to emphasize the dancer and then seeing it come to an end. And I think also like what you mentioned about precision and technique, it really lends itself to the animation. Like if someone is dancing with a very high level of technique and maybe more of a ballet style, it really informs how I animate. Like, for example, I just started using a technique of using straight lines only instead of drawing them. Um, so using anchor points and making the lines straight and that lends itself to kind of a more technical style of dancing. So yeah, it's it's been great being able to kind of work with different styles and I hope that I can keep doing that. I hope I can work with a bunch of different styles, even like not even dancers. I'd love to work with like someone skateboarding or like, snowboarding and like animate off of that yeah i don't know that would be cool yeah i've noticed that in some of your more recent posts like they've they be some of them are a little more abstract and like pure animation and i've thought about that as well like like ryan and i both do a lot of video creation as well we do it in very different ways ryan and from the more documentary standpoint me from the more like showing the process of making something viewpoint um and it's funny, one of the guests we had in an early episode, John Kaipoff, he was talking about like when he started making videos, he kind of assumed that he would just like be able, he would know how to do a lot of it. He didn't really think that like editing was a skill that he needed to learn. Hmm. And what you said just then was like wanting to create music videos and skateboarding videos. I relate to so hard because I feel like I'm I'm now getting to a point where I'm like proficient enough in editing where I can really start expressing myself with it. Like there it's, it's so different being able to be like basically proficient at something that like you can use it and create an end product. But there's all these little steps that happen where you're like, now I can really like express a feeling and create something from nothing. Like you said, like there's in some of the videos, it's not even going over someone. It's totally organic from nothing. Um, I, I in, in, video editing, which you're right, it is such a tedious, time consuming, at times like arduous process. It's it's so I love it, like getting to that point where you feel like you can play it like an instrument almost. Yeah. Well writing, it's like it's like writing. Like one of my favorite quotes from a filmmaker was that like any sort of video or films written three times. Once written with actual, you know, writing on paper, again, as you're filming it, and then one last time as you're editing it. But editing is so unique and so personal to each of us and each of our projects. Like I like going through hours and upon hours of footage and being able to assemble a story that way, being able to tell someone's story, whether it's a documentary or a fictional short film. 
Whereas with Kristen, like, you know, I can't even imagine myself actually tracing and doing the rotoscoping. I would not be good at that at all. But it just adds a different layer. And, and just like you mentioned, Morley, like you talked about how you're able to start editing your videos with like kind of like a wider canvas, kind of being yeah. able to see the bigger picture. And from there, you're able to drop on elements and kind of like knowing how to fulfill like a scene or how you want to be able to visualize something in the way that that you want the audience to feel it. We each, I think, kind of like feel that, but we each have our own unique styles of being able to just pursue that. Both rotoscoping, I can't even imagine, like for myself, because I know that when I was in university, I had a chance to go into like the like the rotoscoping, more visual arts stream at university. I thought, oh no, I just want to do video. And then one of my friends was doing rotoscoping projects and she was showing me what she was doing. I was amazed. I was just that. I'm so, I appreciate this so much because I know myself, like I couldn't be able to do something like this. But I have a lot of respect and appreciation appreciation for those that do. Mm. Yeah, it's it's really interesting too what you just said about um, when you're looking at hours of footage and being able to edit that and tell someone a story. I feel the same way about rotoscoping on top of videos of dancers because I I just have become obsessed with trying to kind of control where the viewer is going to look. I think that's so interesting that, mm-hmm. that we have the ability to kind of make these suggestions to people watching our content and like through visual aid, make them look on a certain part of the screen or kind of feel a certain way. And yeah, I just, I love that. And, you know, I focus, I definitely don't focus on um, emotion per se when I'm, when I'm making these videos, but at the end, I always feel a certain type of way about them just from the quality of the line work um, in, a, in addition to the dancer. So yeah, it's it's really cool to be able to kind of try to tell a story to someone through through art. Mm-hmm. And with, um, well, I was looking at your video manual transfers. You're absolutely right in terms of like guiding someone's vision or how we want them to see it the way we expect them to. And I noticed that with manual transfers, the way like the camera cuts and the way you use different animations and the way the dancers are dancing, but then you see parts of them are still remaining behind as if it's catching up. I really, I really like that. I've never seen anything like that before. So what was it like making that video? Um, thank you so much. Yeah, that was, that was for a film festival at the beginning of this year um, that I was really, really excited to make. And I basically that one I is not rotoscoping. It's through um, a software called Isadora Troikatronics, and it's mostly used for like three D projection. Um, I know a lot of people use it for like live projection um, mm. because it's very like intuitive, and you can be coding within the program while it's live projecting. But they have all these really cool. Um, they call them actors, but they're basically effects that you can add in. So basically it was the process of layering and layering and layering these effects, which is really similar to the rotoscoping actually. But yeah, um, that film was like a great experience for me to learn. I filmed it myself and I edited it myself. That was probably the first thing that I ever like filmed and edited myself. And it was just, it was a great learning experience. And I look back on it and I'm just like, it was pretty cool that I did that. And uh, I definitely want to do it again. That's so impressive. That was your first. I thought it was something recent that you had done. That being your first, that was that's very impressive. Yeah, I I made a film while I was in my third year of of school as well. But that was uh, that was definitely very like 
amateur, amateur, like, but yeah, this was manual transfers was the first one that I feel like I really like can take ownership over and say that I'm, mm-hmm. I'm so proud of it. Yeah. It's so it's, I think each of our first projects really helps kind of, I don't know. For me, it was it felt like such a breakthrough when I was able to make my first short film about four years ago now, almost five. Jeez, that's scary how fast time <laughs> passes. But but I think it's just the first time because I know I've always wanted to make like short films or stuff like that, being able to express myself for the first time. But it was always hard trying to make because these projects, you know, take a lot of time and planning. But once you're able to do it for the first time and able to express yourself, it's almost it feels like a triumph and you just want to keep going down that rabbit hole exploring it more but in regards to your projects Kristen like especially when it comes to rose scoping and animation do you begin a project already having an idea or knowing how you want it to look how you want to present it how you want to explore it or is it more of a process of discovery along the way yeah that's a great question um usually it's uh I have uh, I have most of my friends are dancers um, and I have a huge plethora of people that I went to school with that I can kind of call on. So usually I'll just message them and say, hey, do you want to film yourself dancing and I'll animate over it? And then I, I don't give them any direction. It's a surprise every time. So some t- usually that has been successful. Like I can uh, I can really get inspired by the video and I'm like, this is going to be sick. I'm so excited to work on this. A few times I have really struggled with being able to animate over certain types of movement. So for example, someone moving really slowly, I have a really hard time. That's something that I really want to, I really want to figure out. Um, But yeah, so usually I just go into a project with a video from someone else, especially right now, because I think that if we hadn't been in this like social distance landscape, I would a hundred percent have pursued trying to film people myself because that's something that I really, really want to get better at. Mm. But it's been kind of cool just to be like, hey, send me a video and let's see what we can make kind of thing. Yeah, it's um, like just going back a little bit, like it's really impressive how like we talked about this before we started, but like we, you like me and like a lot of people are like mostly self-taught in video editing and in these animation styles. But in the way you talk about some of them and using them, it almost sounds like you just sort of like dove right in um, and in terms of like you, you want a certain effect. And so you try to pick that effect up because I think when a lot of people, when they think for the first time about creating a video, they're like, oh, I'm going to use iMovie and make a few clips <laughs> together. Um, like, was there any like, is there or was there any sort of intimidation in in diving into these like what seems to me to be like much more technical techniques like i had never like when i hear like 3d projection and and that sort of thing i'm like i wouldn't even know where to start with that like i'm still using i'm still using the like um pared down version of sony vegas that like it does a lot but it's not a it's no adobe suite you mm-hmm. know um like did you come from like any sort of like like learning some of those techniques more in university or had like access them at some point or you're like no like this is a cool effect i'm just gonna dive down and see like what i have to do to get the effect i want so my older sister who i actually live with she is a visual artist and um she was the one who actually introduced me to rotoscoping she's an extremely talented um, illustrator right now her work is in sculpture um, I can't draw. I've never been able to draw. So I think it's kind of ironic that this is what I've t- 
chosen to get myself into. But um, she was the one who first introduced it to me. And it's so funny because when I first started, it really was a feeling of like, I have nothing to lose. Like I was just like, I completely dove into it, like you said. And I was just so curious. And I think I really tried to let that curiosity guide me versus trying to really control a specific outcome or like a perceived idea of the success that I wanted to get. And I've really become obsessed with just making something and just like posting it right away. And most of my work exists on social media, which is really weird because it's like not real. Like we know social media, like, is it really real, even though it is. So it's, it's nice to have that because it's just like a little portfolio of all my work. And it's just nice to just like post it and then move on to the next thing. Yeah, I totally feel that. And it really speaks to the power of like the beginner mindset. I heard this, this fantastic quote recently where it's like, the better you get at something or the more you know, the harder it gets. Like when you're at the beginning and you don't know all the pitfalls, Mm -hmm. you don't know all the pitfalls and like you don't, you have no concept of like a perfection that you want to achieve. Things just get like astronomically harder. And I think everyone who's creating something as you get better you are trying to like remember that beginner mindset and and not get too scared of or or so lasered in and like this has to be perfect this has to be a certain way like stay staying a certain amount of relaxed and so that's a really great way i think of getting into it i i felt similar i feel similar in terms of like when i love something i just want to post it um, and share it and not spend too much time sitting on it it's actually funny i'm working on a video right now and um I'll probably get it done before Christmas, but I probably shouldn't post it on Christmas. <laughs> like I, I'm Jewish, so I, I don't have a ton of concept of like, I mean, I obviously I know how much time people spend doing Christmas things on Christmas, but like for me, it was always this day of like, oh, everyone's busy doing something. Like I have nothing to do and nothing's open, but I should strategically, I should avoid that. Uh, that predisposition and and try to be a little more strategic about it but yeah yeah and it is nice in the fact that like when you you feel like you can put something on social media and on to the next one and and keep moving on and not feel like it has to be so perfect and it's interesting ryan I, i feel like you have a very different perspective on this just in terms of like the scale of projects that you work on hmm because there there does there is a longer process yeah it's it's weird it's just like 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 in regards to filmmaking, like the culture and the environment over how you release it so different, like for a short, like it depends. Cause like if you want to make a short film or a documentary documentary and you want to submit that to film festivals, like most film festivals, especially the major one, major ones for independence, like filmmaker, uh, like uh, in Sundance and others, like they won't allow your film entry. It won't be considered if it's already online. So that creates a sort of challenge. Like you could create this great thing, like the documentary I made with you, Morley, for my master's thesis. I'm very proud of it. I would love to share it with the world. But, you know, I was planning on submitting it to film festivals around, you know, the summer of 2020. And we know how 2020 has gone. So it creates a layers like, okay, I could post online for people to see, but then I won't be able to be eligible for film festivals, especially ones relating to content creation and technology, which you would probably get in. Mm-hmm. So yeah that's tricky it's so it's a weird path to navigate a lot of ones that do go to film festivals and once they do the kind of their festival run then they can be put up online like on vimeo or on youtube or wherever else but 
Yeah, I don't know, because I do like it. what you say. It's just like once you're able to make it, then you could just share it and people can see it. And, you know, you're able to share this wonderful project that you have made. That's nice. I mean, I get that, too. And, you know, but right now I'm just sharing, you know, pretty photos that I take (laughs) on Instagram right now. But it's something I'm, you know, I'm looking forward to. And it's weird at the same time. Like, there's no specific YouTube for filmmakers, per se, or at least not yet. So I don't know. It's funny because film seems to be still very traditional in that way. Whereas, you know, with regards to content creation, more visual, there's a lot more ways to kind of distribute it. So I don't know. I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place (laughs) right now. But like I'm already working on my next documentary. And right now I'm just really focused on getting it made. And then I'll be focused on the distribution after whatever form or shape that will be. Yeah. And like I will say that like specifically in the case of this video, like I have created that sort of like I'll say like I've created my own festival deadline. Because I'm saying, okay, I want to get it posted this day because I feel like people will see it and I'll get it done for then. And then I can backtrack in my process for them and being like, and think, well, I want a lot of people to see it. So I can post a teaser here. I can promote it this way. And like at a certain point, I think it, it is it is nice to have those constraints of distribution mm-hmm. um, if, if you want to like share it widely. Oh, absolutely. And I don't know, there's something to me that's very interesting and alluring about being an independent filmmaker who's gonna make his movie no matter what and i don't care what the world says i'm gonna make it anyway and i don't care how it gets seen whether it's in a cinema or on your iphone i don't know i've i really like that some people are just like oh well i'm not gonna do this i'm not getting paid i'm not gonna waste time doing this but i'm i don't know maybe it's because i'm obsessed i'm crazy but i love doing this i have such a passion for this and I'm already working on my next documentary. And it's totally different from what I worked on on Creators with you, where it was about media and technology and storytelling. This is the next project I'm working on. It's more about nature and history. Mm-hmm. So I'm already working on, you know, pre-production, just trying to see like how how I would visualize that types of how I how I would film it, people I would interview, approaching that subject matter in a totally different context. And there's something very exciting about doing a project that's totally different than what I did last time. Like ever since I made that documentary for my master's thesis, like I feel so like it was a lot of work. Like I mentioned before, I spent like an hour the whole month of June of 2019 just editing on my MacBook, terrified it was just going to burst into flames at any moment. (laughs) But I loved it. Even after it was done, it was such a, you know, you know, very hard, very, you know, uh, very attention attention to detail process, hard, a lot of hard work, but I loved it. And I really want to do it again, mm-hmm. you know, and you know, that's part of the passion. A lot of my favorite filmmakers that I look up to made their first films, like made no budget films or very, you know, for very small money, but no, they had no guarantee or expectation of success. They had no idea where it would lead to, but they made it anyway. And that's something, it's not a path I'm trying to emulate, but it's just something like if there's a story that I see that I really want to tell, I'm going to go do it. And then from there, we'll just see what happens. Yeah. And it's a, it's a way as well to keep, this might sound corny, but like keep your process a little more pure because Mm -hmm. you're not, you don't have a specific outcome in mind. You're like, I really love this thing. I really love showing this dance performance in a way of like the dancer is um, stepping into the future. And we can talk more about that because that, that the whole temporal aspect of manual transfers kind of blew my mind but i want to show the dancer like fading into the future memento style and suddenly the shadow over here is what they are 
they are coming into, um, not thinking like, because I think at a certain point, once you start mixing incentives into something, that's when things start looking the same because right. people start trying to emulate what someone else has done and what has bred them success. Yeah. And like, I have a very clear vision on terms of like, artistically, I would like how to approach my next project, but I can't get up you know i can't start focusing on like more of the what will happen after you know where's it gonna go where's it gonna be seen who's gonna see it you know am i gonna get accepted into a film festival i'm gonna be rubbing elbows with christopher nolan i don't think so but <laughs> it's just a matter of just like focusing on the project at hand and telling the best story that i know it can be and from there on we'll see what happens but mm -hmm. it's just more finding that just being grounded and one day at a time which i guess we all do with all of our projects i guess you know, we don't try to look too far to the future. It's like one eye in the future and one eye now on the stuff that we're doing. I guess that's just how I try to do it. No, I was just going to say I'm, I'm the total same way. Like I'm constantly catching myself thinking like, why aren't things happening fast enough for me? And, and when am I going to have this kind of success? And when, when, and it's just like, I'm constantly telling my friend, the dance world, it's so hard to succeed as a dancer. Mm -hmm. And I think it's pretty hard as well to be um, a filmmaker and a content creator. Like a lot of it is out of your hands. And I'm constantly telling my peers and my friends, like, you have to be patient. You have to be kind with yourself. Like, it's going to happen if you just keep working on it. But when it comes to myself, I'm extremely critical. It's like, but then I have to remember, like, I have been consistently doing what I'm doing for, for only eight months now really and truly like the content I'm creating. So I, it's like, I, I definitely love watching um, like famous or successful artists talk about their journeys. Cause I will say like a hundred percent of the time, they're all like struggle, 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 struggle. And then, and then you make it. And I don't know, it's, it's just, it's really inspiring to hear that. Cause it's like, that's just, that's the path. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, I feel really strongly about that as well. Like I love um, the podcast, how I built this. Um, I love it's, it's a interviews with based like founders of companies and visionaries and uh, people who have built like a multi-million dollar business or like James Dyson who invented the Dyson vacuum cleaner. Um, and like, I'm in a community, like I'll call it the maker community where like I have a lot of friends and a lot of peers who are making awesome stuff and they're like, they're struggling to get like a, a few views on their videos. Um, so there's a, like, not a push so much, but like, there's a, there's a, everyone loves supporting fellow small creators stuff. And I love doing it as well. Mm -hmm. But I, there, I really love seeing people doing something at the highest level. And I used to feel bad about that. I was like, I, there was points where I was thinking like, I should be spending more time watching the videos of people who are around my level so I can help them out, give them some views. And like, we're, we're, we're sort of all in this together, but exactly what you just said, Kristen, in that I, I get like this almost reassurance in a way from hearing the stories of people who have like made it to the top of this tournament, which it basically is like, there are certain things in life that are like a tournament where you have a lot of people at the ground level and only a few will really make it. So as to say, um, and hearing them talk about the eight years they spent grinding it out, do like working like Bill Burr talking about like working in a warehouse while he was pursuing comedy <laughs> in New York city. Like every time I hear him talking about that, I was like, ah, oh, it's okay. Like things take a while. Um, 
and I think I'm I'm sort of like getting to the point where I'm starting to feel a little more secure in that reality of like embracing the suck and I can then <laughs> relax a little bit and and support like the other small creators a little bit more and spend more time doing that. Um, but yeah, there is, I think those stories are really important seeing how much work it takes people to get to the level we're at. I was reading the Wikipedia article for Doja Cat a little while ago. And like, she was like, she had a SoundCloud, she was making stuff on SoundCloud since like 2013. Hmm. And she seems young. You're like, no, she has been doing this for a while. She has been like grinding. Um, Putting the work in, yeah. Yeah, some people are overnight successes, but even the people who seem like they are usually aren't. There's a lot of struggle along the way. But one thing that's nice about like, well, nice, but it's like one thing about exploring our content by, you know, by having these constraints of like, say, time and resources and everything else is that it's allowing us to really find our style and being, you know, like you mentioned before about how like learning about artists and how they've come to be. If you look at some of their earliest work, you see elements of their style that still a part of them to this day. And that's so inspiring to see because it's not like people will say, Oh, you sell out and everything, but no, no, you just refine your style to a point. And as you keep growing and you keep getting better and you keep getting more opportunities, it just sticks with you and you're able to express yourself in the way that you were meant to be. Kristen, in terms of in terms of like finding your style and and getting to like feeling like you're able to express yourself more, you mentioned early on in the episode how like you're starting about you're starting to explore like other mediums outside of these dance rotoscoping videos you're doing. Um, I, I'm curious if you want to talk more about that, like the other techniques you're trying and what that whole process has been like in exploring like video art and video creation in new ways. Yeah, definitely. Um, I've started rotoscoping completely separate from from using dancers as um, as kind of a template. I've started experimenting with just shape and color, and uh, that's been really fun. And I think it's also really um, influenced my other work as well. Um, just figuring out new techniques and and different styles. But as, completely aside from rotoscoping and animation, I have um, I've always been so intrigued by I would say like video effects. I don't know if that's the correct term. Not like not like special effects, but just like for example, in that film, manual transfers. That was all effects. I'm mm-hmm. just so intrigued by taking something that is is real and kind of transitioning it into something that is still it has like its anchor and being real but there's parts of it that are just the eye is like what is that like how did how did they do that I'm Mm. I'm constantly watching videos and and on social media and I see things that I'm just I'm so like intrigued by how did they do that what were the steps they took and even with editing like I would say that I'm not I can't name like my favorite film or like, I don't, I don't know a lot of the technical sides of stuff, but when I know something, when I see it, that I'm just like, how did they do that? That's so cool. And I think that's pushing me with just like staying curious, staying open. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you mentioned, it's like, uh, like it doesn't have to look real, but still feels real, especially when it comes to performances, being able to animate them in the way that you do and that other rose scopers do. What are some of the techniques that you like using? 
uh, like rotoscope wise or aside from rotoscoping? Anything. Um, I would say that I, there's, there's a term that we use in dance and I'm sure it's used in other mediums called canon. So it's like one thing moves and then another thing goes and another thing goes. So it's like a series of repetition. And I, I love using that effect and that technique. I think it's so interesting. And like, we love seeing repetition, like people, Mm -hmm. the eye loves it and you understand it. And the more you see things, you can understand them more. Um, another effect that I also think is really cool is, um, is just like simply zooming in and out of things. I think it's so interesting. Like I sometimes record myself while I'm animating. I've seen people do it like on Twitch, I think before, like they're like speed animating. And I started recently just recording my screen while I'm animating and just like having like a deep zoom and watching it. I think it's so interesting yeah that is really cool yeah Yeah. that's something i need to remember in my own editing that people like repetition because i think it's it's easy when you're so heads down in a project that like like my videos aren't as much about like the video art it's more about it's a medium for like telling a story and showing something and maybe teaching something so i can it can be really easy sometimes to just be like, okay, I showed this once the person saw it or like I'm trying to fit all these things in. So I have to cut it really short, which is a great effect sometimes, but mm-hmm. it is, it can also be like off-putting in some ways. And there, there is a lot of like really interesting effects to be had when you start playing with repetition and letting something play out for a little while. Yeah. And it's, yeah. I, I, it's almost I like a conversation. That. Yeah. Yeah. Conversation is a great word. And that made me think too of like, when you're talking about canon, I didn't realize that was the word for it. Um, the The way you talk about it, I almost made me, it almost makes me think of dominoes, like one thing influencing yeah. the next and they all go into, mm-hmm. into one another. And then you can interrupt that. And then it's like, so visually like satisfying and interesting because the viewer is expecting the same thing to keep happening and the canon to continue and then it's interrupted and it's like mm. whoa like what just happened i wasn't expecting that yeah, it's like Have setting you- setting their expectations and then breaking them but in a way that's completely satisfying and then yeah. you want to see it play out in a different way kristen have you seen the music video for um king's dead by like kendrick lamar j-rock and schoolboy q i don't think so that no. has one of the most, I'll link it in the show notes. That has one of the most impressive zoom effects I've ever seen. So we'll have to uh, watch you, that. You might've seen it in gift form or something, but they, they used this incredible lens. It must've been like a meter long at least. Um, and they, they, it, it's, it's pretty cool. It basically, it's like Kendrick Lamar sitting in a palm tree and then they do a, like a medium zoom out and you realize that the camera is like a kilometer away. That's it's so cool. wild and it's just the steady effect as he's rapping and it's um it actually reminds me of your videos in some ways because you're talking about like it feels real but there's this aspect of how did they do that it's almost like the uncanny valley this like super hyper realism where it's it's not like you're watching um a pixar animation where it's so clearly fake um, <laughs> i think another another reason i think your videos feel like that in a certain way is that a lot of times you'll you'll keep the natural sound in there so it's all natural sound, no sound effects, but then there's animation overlaid over the video. And it almost looks like it could actually be happening, especially like when it's just like the subtle sort of energy lines, as you would call them. 
Oh, that's so cool to hear. Yeah. Yeah, I think and it's just cool when you're watching something too. It's not even that it's being disruptive that you're like, how did they do this? It just makes you more into it. And um, yeah, that that video sounds sick. I'm definitely going to check that out. It, it reminds me as well, like the how did they do this? Um, I was I was talking about it to you earlier. And it's funny because when Ryan and I first started this podcast, like we did a couple trial recordings that we never released. Uh, one was in like the Ryerson. I think it was, I think it was the one we did in the Ryerson library and it was like super echoey and, um, and but we were just, we did like actually another no, one. Or we did another a- one before, like we did one that was like the test recording we did in the library and everyone's staring at us and what the hell are they doing while we're in the yeah. room. <laughs> and then we did another one like in March, like a week before the lockdowns began. Yeah. We might only release them on the 10 year anniversary of Into the Spotlight, but <laughs> yes, but, but for that one, um, one of my Into the Spotlights that I never actually got to put in the spotlight because we didn't put it out was that dance performance, Angel's Atlas by Crystal Pite. Crystal Pite, and, yeah. And in that performance, I wish I could remember the name of the uh, the set designer who did it because I think they deserve a mention as well. Um, mm-hmm. There is this incredible backdrop of, I think it's it's essentially light projection on a curtain, but it looks 3D and it looks like the way the dancers are moving is interacting with it. And the entire time I was not able to figure out like how it was done. Like, was it a rear projection? How are the, is it projected? Is there smoke somewhere? Like I had no idea how this was happening, but it didn't take away from the performance at all. It didn't, it didn't make me step out of it or ruin the suspension of disbelief. It almost in some ways makes you feel more in the moment, hmm. you know, and it's weird. It's, it's very counterintuitive how some ways like thinking how something works can immerse you even more deeply into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's a big, it's a big balancing act like for a while. And it's still a dream of mine to eventually be a choreographer or somehow work with choreographers with technology and dance. And while I was kind of, you know, dreaming about that, we saw so many performances. Crystal Pite is known for it, but um, a lot of companies do <clears throat> dance performances with technology. <clears throat> sorry <clears throat> and um and yeah it's such a tricky balance of adding to the performance in a complimentary way and not being super distracting but also being fascinating for the viewer and adding something not just you know doing it to do it yeah and it's the fa- i think the fascination that's a good word to kind of sum it all up like the almost the trying to figure out how it works is like an aspect of being fascinated by it but you can be fascinated by multiple things at once. You can be fascinated by the dance itself and by the set design and the lighting and the music all at the same time. Mm-hmm. And it kind of that's why that's one of the reasons I love dance as an art medium is because like there are so many like beautiful things happening at once. It's this it's this crazy combination and then throw into the fact that like it's all also an athletic performance. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But it's like it's like you said, it's the combination of all these elements coming together at the right time in the sense that like, whether it's like, I think you mentioned the projection of the or to the dance performance itself, it's, it all comes together. It's, film is a lot more a lot like that too. It's being able to have all these elements and having a good set design and being able to have all these elements come together at the right time, at the right moment to create that sense of feeling that you want the viewers to understand, to feel at that moment. Mm-hmm. But it's one thing I really like about 
like I have, I really like independent films, especially like the no budget independent films, because what they do is that they don't have access to a budget to have a big, you know, immersive set design. They're just like they're able, they they after have to film in like I don't know rented locations or in public spaces, and there's oftentimes like real people around them. And one thing I love and appreciate about those movies so much is how they're able to create this sense of a world and immerse yourself into the story, but they're relying on reality. There's a sort of grittiness there that even though they don't, they're not able to construct a, a, an impressive set, they're still able to work with the reality within that to create this sort of immersive environment. And it's just something I appreciate a lot in, in those smaller, smaller creations. Yeah, and especially in a landscape we're in now where media is getting increasingly polished. I think you can see it like with the way like TikTok is going. It's like people crave things that feel a little lower budget and genuine. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, like, look at the fall of Quibi, right? It's like just because you <laughs> inject money into something doesn't mean that people are going to love it. Like people crave that genuine feeling. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, they have like massive, you know, AAA Hollywood stars in those shows and those movies. But, you know, you can't have people watch a five minute episode of a show and expect them to have that engagement. It just doesn't work that way. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, really? Yeah. So if no, gonna... but sorry, go, go ahead. No, no, I wasn't going to say anything. <laughs> no, no, that's it. It's just like we can't under understate, like even in like you know, whether it's just even like high school theater productions or like, you know, smaller dance productions, you know, like not all of them can be river dance, but, you know, there's they're all immersive in their own way. And we shouldn't like, you know, you know, just because if it's more independent or amateur, it doesn't mean it's it doesn't mean it's lesser. It could still be just as effective, if not more so, because they're taking those constraints and they're making a, making it a part of the aesthetic of the project that they're working on. And that's just something that, you know, I'm looking forward to trying in the next few months. But, you know, it's something mm-hmm. that we all do as as uh, independent creators. Yeah. Yeah. Kristen, something like I feel like we've touched on a, a, at a few points during this conversation, but haven't really dived into is you mentioned that like you were on this, this certain dance path. And then it seems like there was a change and a shift in taking on the more video creation. Um, but now in a way, like, you're finding a new way that genuinely speaks to you to be involved with the art form. Um, I was wondering if you could like speak a little more to that in terms of like the challenges of dance and the training and how you've sort of like, how you feel what you're doing now can may lead to a something where you feel like more connected to it or, or just in a different way, or even just how they're different in the same um, approaching dance as a dancer in training versus from this sort of other perspective. Yeah, definitely. Um, I would say that I stopped dancing about a year and a half ago just for health reasons, and I haven't been able to get back into it since. But um, hopefully once when the time's right, I'll be able to to get back into dancing, not training at the level that I was training at, just because there's nothing unless you go back to a program. The program I was in was like five days a week. We were dancing for like six, seven hours a day. So wow. there's nothing, there's nothing really quite like that. It was, it was honestly, it was the time of my life. I was having so much fun, but this is just speaking for me personally. There are so many incredible dancers um, that I went to school with that are still dancing. Um, it's, it's hard not to be emotional about it because your body is your instrument and you're being judged on something that sometimes you can't control. Um, 
I was a musician when I was in high school. And for a while, I thought that that's what I wanted to do. And transitioning from music into dance, like when you're when you're a musician, you have an external instrument. It's almost like something that you can put down and walk away from at the end of the day. If you're feeling frustrated or, um, you know, something didn't go right. But but being a dancer, it's like you're living in your instrument. So sometimes it can just be a little bit emotionally draining. But I mean, I have no regrets. I would love to get back into it. And definitely transitioning into what I'm doing now, I feel like I'm still dancing um, in a way because I'm feeding off of other dancers' movement and I'm, I'm analyzing it at such a deep level. Like when I'm animating, sometimes I'm zooming in so close to the image and really trying to understand you know, the pathways of certain body parts. Mm-hmm. And doing that, I, I feel like I'm still like thinking, oh, like, this is probably how their arm is going to move next. Because if I was doing that, that's how my arm would move. So it's it's really amazing to be able to kind of still have this deep connection with it, even though I'm, I'm still not in that physical space. But, but yeah, I, I, think it's it's funny looking back at it now because like I've never really thought of myself as a visual artist and like I said before I can't draw if I tried to draw something <laughs> like separate, I can't do it um but so yeah for a while I was thinking why have I chose this like why am I so hardcore into this but but looking at it like timeline wise I think it actually makes a lot of sense and it's all kind of fed into each other and it's it's going to be kind of cool to see like what it's going to lead to for sure yeah it's all part of the evolution of us of us as who we are as creators as artists and trying to find who we are because it's not only because we're trying to explore our creative journeys but it's also a personal journey as well and like you mentioned like being able to look back on those experiences through music and dance and you're still drawing upon those elements into your work now as a visual artist and that's amazing like just looking at your work you know you're a dancer because like if i were to try to do something like that i couldn't do it nearly a quarter as good as you can because i don't understand dance you do mm-hmm. and along with music you know like as i looked at your work like you capture that that flow and the way you know the video edits and the way the animation flows it's done so so well so being able to see that and you're able to draw upon that, that just enriches your work so much more. Thank you so much. That's that's really kind of you to say. Thank you. Yeah. And just like, what are some of the unique elements and challenges as your work as a visual artist? Like, just what are some of the unique elements and challenges that you have experienced in this new space? It's so funny because uh, when I was still dancing, I'd have like all kinds of injuries and my body would be sore. And now I have constant hand cramping from animating which I never would have thought would happen that's like one of the that's honestly been one of the biggest challenges sometimes I have to stop for hours just because I'm like oh my god my hand is like I can't I can't hold the I animate on a um on a separate tablet for my computer I was gonna ask if you use a tablet yeah 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 I use the Wacom I think it's the Wacom Intuos, like it's a couple years old. It's an older model and it's very small. It's not um, a screen. I know a lot of animators use like um, legitimate um, external tablets. It's just like a black pad um, and there's a little stylus that comes with it. So um, I'm hoping to replace that soon. I'm hoping to upgrade just because it's it's lost a lot of its sensation 
And, um, but yeah, that's been a big challenge. I think another challenge too is sitting for hours doing this. Like the challenges I feel like have been mainly physical versus like mental or emotional, just because I was in a space of like such a, a grand physical pursuit. And now it's like to animate a minute long video, it's like, oh, I'm going to sit for hours and hours and be in a certain position hunched over a table. So it's been such a like 180, but in a way it's, it's been great because it's giving me the break that I, that I wanted and that I needed. And yeah, yeah, that's what I would say. Yeah. I was wondering if you were using a stylus because I know like my colleagues when I was doing my bachelor's degree, like they were using like mouse button and click. I thought, oh my gosh, that seems like a nightmare. I can't even imagine. My gosh, yeah. Every, I, every time I tried that, every... it does it's not for me. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think it's for anyone. It's just like you have to put in that, you have to invest a little bit. Like every time I I do any masking in photo editing, that's when I really think like, wow, I need to get a tablet. Like this is not, if I, because if I do any masking, it's for like a single photo. It's for a thumbnail. Um, Yeah, it's usually just for a thumbnail of a video. But if I were to do it in like a batch of photos, there is no way I could sustainably do it with a mouse. I would like, I would get injuries. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. I guess I've somehow became used to editing videos on the trackpad. Don't ask me how oh or why. I just, it's just something I've just like, if it's something short, like a, like a little short, little two minute long marketing video, marketing video that I'm doing. Like I just, it's like, it's nothing for me now, but if it's something longer, I always go with the mouse or if it's something that's driving me insane then I definitely use a mouse, but I don't know. It's just a weird habit I've developed. I don't know why. And everyone looks at me saying, what is wrong with you? I said, I don't know. It's just, I guess I just, I've done this so often. Like now if it's something short, it's just, I know what to do now. It's weird. I don't know how to explain it. Yeah. I, I always cringe in maker videos when I see someone like showing their 3d model on their laptop and they're like drawing and panning with their trackpad. Because I used to teach, oh, I used to teach CAD drawing and drafting at university, and like the first thing we would say is like, get a mouse. If you don't have a mouse, get one. And if you, like, if you don't have one, just use a school computer. Because I am not teaching you how to three D model and draft with a trackpad. Like, it's there's just no way. It's you're so much slower. It's it's like it's so much worse. So that's so ingrained in me. But yeah, like you're people are like turtles. Like you grow to fill the shell you're in and then all of a sudden you realize you're like editing a video on your phone you're like oh this isn't that hard (laughs) (laughs) yeah yes it's it's all different but oh my gosh editing oh and i love editing it depends for me editing depends of how the shoot goes like if i have a good shoot and like i get all the footage already that i planned and i hoped or even if i was on set i just realized okay this thing i have an idea for like you know we we didn't plan it let's try shoot it i'm always happier if we do that if we film it if we don't if we don't film it you know you look at the editing and if you just don't feel like you have enough or it's not all in the way that you expected it to it could be really you know brutal of a process but if you get everything that you need i find that the editing process goes a lot more smoothly it's still very long still very you know painstaking in terms of time but if you have it all it's i find like it makes it easier to put it all together and how just even something as simple as reversing a clip can, can completely change the context of your project. It's crazy to think, but, you know, I've often do that lots of times. Like there are sometimes I reverse a clip or I take a shot that I thought was kind of useless. And then in the context of other clips, it just says, oh, my gosh, this works perfectly. Just depends. Yeah, I think like getting those epiphanies 
is probably one of the biggest learning experiences I've had over the course of like a few years spent teaching myself video editing. Um, I, I've come to realize that if I'm spending so much time micromanaging a tiny portion of the video and I keep moving things around and I'm trying to get it right, then I need to like totally switch it up. Like something like you said, reverse a clip, replace it with something else. Like if it doesn't feel right, then it's never going to feel right. Or I should keep it the very first thing I did. (laughs) Sometimes like you're going back through a shoot and you're like, the first thing I did was right or the last one was right. And very rarely is it somewhere in between. (laughs) It's like a cruel joke in some ways. It's weird. Yeah. Because sometimes you can get on the first take or you get on the last take or you get within the first five takes. It's just, it varies like that. I don't know how to explain it. Um, before we, before we end, I just wanted to ask Kristen, what are some of, or who, or what are some of the biggest inspirations that influenced your work? I would say that, um, well, that's a good question. I am inspired by like, so I'm inspired by too many things. Like I, I find constant inspiration um specifically from just looking at artists profiles on Instagram honestly it's like one of my favorite things to do um specifically visual artists and video artists I love watching like 3D models um I love watching uh like video edit artists like I think that stuff is so interesting Mm. um I would say trying to name someone who's been the biggest influence on my work it's hard it's hard to say just because I feel like I've gone through so many transitions of like what what I'm doing but um my honestly my sister she's she's an incredible artist she and I live with her too and we've converted our basement to her studio so I'm down there all the time filming her work watching her work and she works in so many different mediums sculpture paint um she was doing video stuff for a while animation so just watching her kind of have a similar path to me just like experimenting and trying so many things has been a massive inspiration just because it kind of gave me the permission to be like you don't have to choose one thing you don't have to put yourself in a box and yeah I think that she's been the biggest inspiration overall and I know it's my sister but even if she wasn't my sister I have a feeling that I would have found her somehow like on social media and just been blown away by her work. So, yeah. Yeah. What is um her social media for her art? Um, I would love to put that in the show notes so people could go check it out. Oh, that would be so awesome. Her Instagram is at catstambolic.art. All right. Yeah. Hear that listener? If you didn't hear it, it will be linked. <laughs> go, go check them out now. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, that is a great transition uh, to put a spotlight on some other people we love and uh, artworks we love as well. Um, and I will kick it off because I'm already talking. <laughs> <laughs> so this this conversation, um, sometimes I have a into the spotlight out of left field and sometimes the topic itself makes me think of something that I want to shout out that's related to what we're talking about. And it's, it's pretty funny because... Um, on the other podcast I do, I mentioned I mentioned this in the episode, and I realized that it was perfect for this. Um, it is a movie that came out in 2017, got a lot of press at the time, but I think um, the press fell off pretty quick, and it deserves to continue to be held up. And that movie is Loving Vincent. Um, it is the Vincent Van Gogh movie that every frame essentially was painted. So it is 
it was essentially rotoscoped. Um, but instead of drawing on a screen, they had a team of painters paint in the style of Vincent van Gogh over many, many frames, literally filmed frames. Like the, the movie has actual actors, but each frame is a painting. Um, and it's probably like one of the most incredible and beautiful things I've ever seen. And I'm, I'm really not just saying that. Um, it has this really cool soundtrack. They do this incredible thing where they have specific Van Gogh paintings. And at a certain point in the movie, the action will freeze and it will be a Vincent Van Gogh painting. And then the camera will zoom into that scene or not even the camera, but the painter will paint in a way that it looks like it zoomed into the scene and you'll kind of have a story inside one of his paintings. So, I mean, the plot of the movie is really like a, a retrospective sort of fictionalized biopic about what Van Gogh's life might have been like based on um, a lot of like journal art entries and, and letters. And it's an, it's an interesting for one, just like sight into his life, but even just visually, it is something, something else. It's really, really cool. That's such a good example of a film that didn't get enough attention that it deserved. Like it got nominated for Oscars, received critical praise and everything, but it was such a unique, like I haven't had a chance to see it. I've only seen bits and clips of it, but that's, it's such a unique interpretation of animation to do it in that way. It's, you know, it's, I hope its reputation grows throughout the years because it's an interesting and really a, a very, how do I say it? A very, very bold move to move animation that way by going back to the traditional paintings that animation is really inspired upon. Yeah. And I think it, one, another thing it speaks to is um, sort of like the timeless nature of frame by frame animation in, mm -hmm. in turn of rotoscoping. Um, like you can have these incredible video game looking Pixar movies that are like so close to lifelike, but yeah. there is something about, someone literally painting every frame, whether it be analog or digitally, that gives it a certain quality that is is like really beautiful. Yeah, that sounds amazing. I've seen, I don't think I've, I've definitely seen clips of that somewhere. That sounds extremely familiar, but um, just like going on social media, seeing people do frame by frame animation with either sketches or paintings, there's something so magical about it. It's like, it's really like bringing a piece of art to life in a different way. And it's just, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to have to definitely check the full, full movie out. That sounds amazing. And I wonder too, if, um, if part of it is just knowing in the back of your head that someone drew every frame, maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but I think that might play into it as well. Like you can feel the labor that went into it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What about you, Ryan? What would you like to put in the spotlight this week? So my spotlight for this episode, well, it doesn't deal with more animation, but it does um, handle more about what we've been discussing regarding recontextualizing performance and making it something unique and different and making it your own. So I discovered this band a few days ago called Sunny and the Black Pack, which is a band from San Francisco in the Bay Area in California. And I found these guys online. Um, I found they do they've been doing live concerts for like the last month almost every day throughout the week on broadcasting it on platforms such as YouTube and Reddit and it was interesting you know they're they're a band that delves in more with jazz folks and blues music and they've been doing this for a while and they have like as I've been researching them 
their mm-hmm. ultimate desire is to inject authenticity and passion back into live music. They're a band that doesn't have like a lot of recorded songs out released, but they're very, very focused on live performances. And you can go on their YouTube channel, you can find all of their live performances that they've done. And one thing I've noticed is that they're uh, that they state is that they have a vision of covering songs, which is called a canvas. And their interpretation, canvassing a song means approaching it as if it was a blank canvas and recreating that song in an image that resembles the original while u- utilizing their own heart and soul to make it an authentic and unique sounding interpretation. And they've taken everything from like rock and pop music to even Christmas music in the last few days from what I've heard of them. And they're recontextualizing it in this more jazz and blues sort of rhythm. They change, like they keep the lyrics, but they completely change the music. They change even the length of the songs, the way they're sang. I just found it really, really interesting. And they're really seem to be a really nice upbeat band. So you know, if you want to listen to some music that's upbeat, it has injects a lot of positivity and just makes you feel good about yourself, check out this band, especially since it's been so hard for musicians. I mean, it's been hard for everyone this year, but especially for musicians who are up and coming and rely on live performances. So yeah, go check out this band. You can find them at Black Media Presents on YouTube and at Sunny and the Black Pack on Spotify. Very cool band. Sweet. All right, Kristen, you are up. All right, so my Into the Spotlight is a multidisciplinary artist named Susanna Haidt, and she is um, she's based out of Montreal and Toronto. She's currently in Toronto right now, um, and she is a dancer. She's a filmmaker. She's a visual artist. She does photography, and she's currently she went to school um, at Ecole de Danse Contemporaire Montreal. And which is a very similar, um, similar uh, program that I went to. And now she's moved back to Toronto and she's in her first year um, at Ryerson getting her BFA in film, which I think is so amazing. Like she's really making the switch into becoming a filmmaker. And she's just incredible. She's honestly one of the best dancers I've ever witnessed. She dances with such a nuance and it really makes you feel like you're dancing when you watch her even if you're not a dancer it gives you such like a sensory feeling watching her and I was really lucky to collaborate with her just very recently just uh, about a month ago on a video and she honestly changed the way that I wrote a scope I feel like that collaboration has been a massive turning point for me and it just it led me to explore um this pursuit in such a new way and she's incredibly inspiring um i would check out her instagram she um i think it's just at susanna hate i think that's her her um, yeah yeah her i just found it i will I'll link it in the channel okay great and if you scroll it, it's spelled down hate i think the same way as like hate ashbury uh in San yeah it's like H-A-I-J-H-A-I-J-H-A-I-J-H-A-I-J-H-A-I-J-H-A-I-J-H-A-I-J-H-A-I-J-H-A-I-J-H-A-I-J-H-A-I-J-H-A-I-J-H-A-
Awesome. Yeah. I'm watching your stuff now. I'm definitely going to check out more. And I found, I found your uh, collaboration. Oh, amazing. Yeah. No, I really, I hope to work with her again. She's, she's an incredible artist. That's awesome. Sweet. All right. Well, Kristen, thank you so much for coming on. Um, this was a really, really cool conversation. I'm glad we got to dive down a bit of like our shared yet different experiences with video editing. Cause it, it is like this, this such this bear, this beast that I think a lot of people are trying to tackle and don't realize the beast that it is. <laughs> <laughs> that's, definitely, that's definitely the right way to put it, but it just shows that even though we're all very similar, we're always, we can always learn more. That's why I love about this podcast that we can always talk to great people like Kristen and Morley and everyone else that we have on the show and just being able to continue learning and growing as creators. And even if it's, it's in a totally different field, there's still always elements that you can draw upon into your own work and just keep learning and growing and advancing. And I'm excited to see more of your work, Kristen, as you keep making more of your rotoscoping and your other artistic pursuits. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for having me. Um, I really enjoyed this conversation. And yeah, I'm really excited to check out your guys' other episodes for sure after this and episodes you guys have in the future. This was so great. Thank you. Our pleasure. So you can find Kristen at Kristen Stambolic on Instagram. Uh, K-R-I-S-T-E-N-S-T-A-M-B-O-L-I-C but I will link it if you're not of the spelling mindset uh, she is also on Vimeo she has some longer works there as well I would definitely recommend checking out we mentioned uh, manual transfers a few times during the episode um, yeah that'll do it if you enjoyed the episode we would really appreciate if you shared the show with someone else who you might think enjoy it um, or leave us a review they're both very much appreciated. Um, yeah, that'll do it us for us today. Kristen, again, thank you so much and have a great rest of your night. Thank you, you too. Bye. Bye. Bye.